The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Hey, welcome to Summit Church Online. I'm thrilled that you chose to join us today. Wherever you're at, whatever's going on, I just pray that you know that God loves you, that we as a church, we are for you. And, and we're excited because this is actually part two of a two-part little mini-series or talk uh, in Philippians chapter three. And we started last week with the first eight verses of Philippians chapter three, and we're gonna finish eight more today. We'll get through verse 16. But here's the idea. Here's what Paul is talking about. There are true believers. There are people who have a joy that comes from their salvation. They know that they are saved by grace through faith and that Jesus Christ has paid it all for them. And there should be, there really should be a joy that comes from that. But Paul is writing to this church in Philippi to let them know, hey, there's a group of people that have infiltrated your church. They've come in and they are trying to add to the gospel message. They're trying to say that Jesus alone is not enough. Jesus is good. Jesus is good, but he's not quite enough to guarantee your salvation. You need to add some more stuff. And specifically, the stuff they were wanting the church in Philippi to add was from the Mosaic law, the law of Moses. And really what they wanted to add was circumcision. They wanted to say, hey, you know, if you put your faith in Jesus as a former Roman soldier, that's great. But now you just need to go ahead and get circumcised and that will finish the salvation process. And then you're good to go. And Paul's saying, no, those people, they are evil dogs. They are mutilators of the flesh. They don't know what they're talking about. Do not listen to them. And then he says, hey, here's what true believers will do. They won't add anything to their salvation, but they are going to live in certain ways. There are three characteristics that true believers, those who have joy in their salvation, there's three characteristics that they will have. And he outlines those in Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. We read it last week, but let's read it again. For it is we who are the circumcision, or for lack of a better word, the true believers. And here's what they do. We who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Now, because this is a two-part talk, we only looked at that last one last week, that last characteristic, people who put no confidence in the flesh. Those are the true believers. So we're going to pick up the other two today and really finish this one message that's taking us two weeks to complete. So true believers, those who find joy in their salvation, they will boast in Christ Jesus. They will boast in Christ Jesus because they know that Jesus is their future prize. He is their present companion, and he is the one who deserves all of the praise and all of the glory. True believers know that, so that's why all their boasting is going to be in that. Not in things of the flesh, not in things of this world, but in Jesus. Let's look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. We read verse 8 last week, but we're going to start there. Verses 8 through 11. What is more, Paul talking, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider those things garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. This righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Verse 10, I want to know Christ. That word means be acquainted with. 
I want to be acquainted with Christ. Yes, I want to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So now Paul, he's saying Jesus is worth losing everything for. If I were to lose all things, anything this world has to offer, anything that was to my gain, and I get Jesus in the end, that would be just fine with me. I would get the treasure that I seek. I would get the reward that I want. I would get the present companion that I need. So let's put it this way. If you, if you were to somehow, for some reason, lose everything, lose everything that this world has given you, the the joys that you find in it, if you were to lose everything, but in the end, you had Jesus. In the end, you gained Christ. Would you be okay with that transaction? Would that be something that you would say, I, I'm not necessarily loving this idea, but if in the end, I get Jesus, then yeah, I, I think that's fair. Paul for sure got this. Paul said, hey, I think everything, everything is garbage compared to Jesus. And I love that, but if I can be honest with you, I think many of us would hear about that transaction and we'd go, eh, it's a bold statement. I'm not sure I'm quite there. And there's two reasons. There's two reasons, and it's okay if, if you feel this way, but there's two reasons that you would say, no, that transaction's a little too steep. One would be that you overvalue the things of this world. You've put too much value in the things of this world. And that's easy to do because we can see them. They're tangible. We can feel them. We can put them in our bank account. It's, it's easy to do. So that's one reason why you'd say, no, that transaction's a little steep. You've overvalued the things of this world or you've undervalued Jesus. And that too is easy to do because in order to understand the extravagance of who Jesus is, in order to understand his beauty and his might and his power and his goodness and his glory and all that makes him who he is, all that gives him his immense worth and value, in order to understand that you've got to know him, you've got to be acquainted with him. It takes time. You, you can't just read a verse in the Bible and be like, oh, I get it now. Yeah. Jesus, awesome. But Paul walked with him, he talked with him, he knew him, and he said, hey, this, this treasure, this Jesus, it's worth more than all the things in the world combined. And having that mentality is what allows him to say, I boast only in Jesus. I desire nothing but Jesus. But there's a few more reasons, okay, that we found there in verses 8 through 11. Number one, Jesus becomes for us the righteousness of God. It's one of the main reasons why Paul says, I'm going to boast in him because of what he's done for me. He has become the righteousness of God for me. Paul's already stated in previous verses that he was blameless according to the law. So according to the law of Moses, he was righteous, okay? He's already stated that. But what he said is, hey, that righteousness, that comes from me. That comes from me. That comes from what I do. That, that doesn't come from God. That doesn't come from the grace of Jesus. No, that, that comes from me. So the problem with that is it allows me to boast in that. And he doesn't want to do that. 
He says, on the other hand, the righteousness that comes from God through faith in Jesus is better because I didn't do anything to earn it. And because of that, because you don't do anything to earn it, that means two things. One, it's true righteousness. It's righteousness that comes from God. It's pure righteousness because God is righteousness. He's the only one that can give true righteousness. So that's, that's one reason. But the second reason is because it comes from God, we can't earn it, so we can't boast about it. There was a moment that happened on the cross, and it's a powerful moment. Okay, the Gospels tell us that it happened right about noon on Friday. It says the sky got dark at noon, and Jesus cried out with his fourth statement from the cross. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you turned your back on me? Well, the reason is found all throughout the New Testament. Because in that very moment, God the Father had to leave his son for the first time. Why? Because all of the sins of the world, your sins and mine, were being placed upon Jesus. He took our unrighteousness upon himself and paid the price for that sin by giving his life so that we might take upon ourselves through faith in him, his righteousness. That transaction is beautiful. And that's why Jesus is Jesus, because of his sacrificial love for us, the willingness to lay down his life in obedience to the Father. That's what makes Jesus worthy of all the boasting and all the praise that we could ever, ever give him. And it's faith, church, it's faith alone that unlocks this righteousness. That righteousness that comes through faith is why Paul boasted only in Jesus. It's why we who find joy in our salvation should boast only in Jesus. We see also that it's because Jesus becomes our present companion and our future prize. In verse 10, Paul says, I want to know Christ. I want to become personally acquainted with him. I want to become acquainted with the power of Jesus. I want to get to know that. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that allowed him to conquer death, that same power is available to you and me through faith in Jesus Christ. That blows my mind. That is unthinkable power. The power to bring life out of death. That power is available to us. And Paul said, I want to know that. I want to know that power. I want to be acquainted with the sufferings of Jesus. Wow, what a crazy thing to say. I want to be acquainted with the sufferings of Jesus. Why? Why would he want that? Well, because trials and tribulations and sufferings in this earth, in this world, they actually bring us closer to Jesus. So Paul says, if I want to know him, I've got to know him and how he suffered. And so I'll suffer just like him so I might understand him more. I want to be acquainted with him in his death, the death of Jesus. Now, you're like, how can you do that? Well, actually, Paul in Romans tells us the act of baptism is a symbol of this, being lowered into the water, into death, and then being brought up into new life. The old is gone. The new has come. The sin that riddled your life has been put to death, and the new life in the Spirit comes and brings forth praise and glory and boasting in the one who you have now 
been paired with in death. And Paul boasts all the more, and then he says, I finally want to be acquainted with him in eternity. I want to live with him forever. One of the best rational reasons why universalism, and I'll explain that, why, why all people, all of creation will not end up in heaven, okay? Why the love of God for all people is not sufficient to let everyone be in heaven. One of the most rational arguments that I've ever heard for, against universalism is this. If in this life you say, I don't want anything to do with you, God, you make that statement for whatever reason. Oh, and there's many reasons out there for you to make that statement then how could a loving God force you to spend eternity with him? It's not right. It's not just. If you don't want anything to do with him, he can't make you spend eternity with him. He's actually given you this choice. But can I tell you, if you're listening today and, and you're thinking, yeah, I really don't want anything to do with God, there, there's many reasons on this earth why you may not want anything to do with God, but I can tell you in eternity, you're going to want everything to do with him. Because the other option, eternity spent separated from him, it is not a pretty picture. So Paul boasts. He boasts in the power of, he boasts in being united with Jesus in suffering. He boasts in being united with Jesus in death. And he boasts in the future glory of being with him in heaven. He boasts because he says, I know him. I know him now and I'm going to get to know him even better then. I don't know if you are in relationship with or have a friendship with any famous people. But I don't know many but if you ever see someone that you kind of have a relationship with, maybe they're on TV getting an award or something, there, there's this little part of all of us, a little part of our flesh that just goes, I know that person. That person's pretty special right now, and I, I know them. I've got a cousin who plays like mid-level pro soccer in Europe, and when he gets on a little clip that no one else has even seen over here in the United States, but he's on the news, and I'm, I'm like, I know him. I, I, I know him. That's what Paul's saying. I'm acquainted with him. I know him, and because I know how great he is, I boast in him. I boast in him alone, and that's what those who understand the joy of salvation will do. They will boast in Christ alone. And the second thing that those who know the joy of salvation will do is they will serve God by his spirit. They will serve God by his spirit. Looking back at verse 3, we're not going to read it, but just remember that was the, the last one. So Philippians 3, verses 12 through 16. Paul says, Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then, who are mature, who are true believers, should take such a view of things. And if on some points you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. So looking at verses 12 and 13, we have to ask the question, what is Paul striving for? And for what purpose did Jesus take hold of him? The answer is actually the same for both. 
What Paul is striving for and the reason that Jesus did what he did for Paul is the glory of God. The answer is the same for both questions. Paul understands that his life, his service to God is for God's glory. And the reason that Jesus saved Paul was for God's glory. What he's striving for and what Jesus took hold of him for are the same thing. And he says, then I strain, meaning it's not easy. I strain towards the goal. The goal is to glorify God. I hope you're seeing this. Why do those who find joy in their salvation, why do they serve God through the help of his spirit? They do so to glorify him. He says, I press on to win the prize. The prize is Jesus. Jesus being acquainted with you. The Bible says that Christ in me is the hope of glory. Me being acquainted with Christ is the hope for this prize, for this purpose for which Paul strains, for which he lives his life. If you are mature, then you should have the same mindset. I just wonder today, would you say, yeah, I'm I'm mature, I, I have that mindset. I've got that. It's a powerful understanding to know that your life has been saved, has been redeemed for the glory of God. Your life has been saved, it's been redeemed so that you might pour it back out in service to God through the help of the Spirit. It's a very mature and it's a very broad idea to understand that. But there's a couple reasons, I think, why many of us don't want to make it that simple. So my whole life is about the glory of God. That, well, what about me? And, and that's the first problem. You think that all that God is doing and all that God has done is, is for you. It's not. You, you have to understand that what Jesus did, even in, in his death on the cross, was in obedience to the Father so that the Father might be glorified. We've got to understand that. Now, when we understand that, when we have that mindset, it allows us to do two things. It allows us to put everything behind us, as Paul said. All the good and the bad in our life. And just strive for his glory. So, the things we've done good... We don't say, God, you owe me. You're in my debt. And the things we've done bad, you don't say, God, I I hope you're going to forgive me because he already has. Those things are done. And Paul says, "I, I put that stuff behind me, the good and the bad, and I live today to serve Jesus and to see him glorified. He says, if you if you don't think that way, that's okay. God will change your mind. And I love that. Hey, you may not believe this now. That's fine. God will show you just how big he is, how magnificent he is, and how much this all really is for him. And then he says that you will take hold 
of that which you've already attained. Verse 16. So if we haven't fully got the glory of God, what have we already attained? The true believers, what have we already attained? I think it brings it all full circle. The joy of our salvation. Take hold of it and live like one who is saved. And what will that person do? They won't boast in the flesh. They'll boast only in Christ. They'll see that and they'll understand that their life has been bought with a price. And in order to love God because of what he's done for you, you will serve him every day of your life with the Spirit. That's what those who are truly saved, who find joy in their salvation, that's what they will do. It reminds me a little bit of Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul writing says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of all that he's done, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is the way you boast in him. This is the way you praise him. This is the way you serve him, by offering your bodies as living sacrifices. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. Don't boast in the things of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you know that all things are for God's glory. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And that is for you to know the joy of salvation That is for you to give your life away daily in service to him. That is for you to boast in nothing else but Christ. That is for you to put away the things of this world and the boasting of the flesh and love him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so today, if you do not currently have the joy in your life, to say, I don't have that joy of salvation, then I just want to go back and I want you to ask yourself, have you truly put your faith in Jesus? Can you point to the moment or the season where you heard God calling you by name and because of his grace you said, I believe, I surrender my life to you? If you haven't ever done that, then I urge you to do so today and begin to experience that joy of salvation but maybe you can say, no, I know I've put my faith in Jesus. I know I've done that, but I'm just, I'm lacking that joy. I, I don't have what you're talking about, Todd. What, what do I need to do? Well, then I ask you today to look at these three things, just one last time. These three things that those who have joy in salvation will be about. Are you putting too much confidence in the flesh? Are you struggling because you're wanting to put God in your debt or because you think you need to do something to make him love you more. We talked about that last week. That's going to rob you of all your joy. Are you failing to boast in only Jesus? Meaning, do you still want some of the glory? Do you still want this to be about you? And if you do, that's going to rob you of that joy. And then finally, do you, do you struggle to serve God every day through the help of his spirit. I believe we find the greatest joy in the giving of our life back to him as a holy offering, as our spiritual worship. And if you're not doing that, you're robbing yourself of the joy of your salvation. Paul got this. He understood it. He lived it. 
And he wanted to make sure that his friends in Philippi, that they got it so much so that he said, I have no problem telling you this stuff again, because this is important. And so today I just ask that you look at your life. Ask yourself, are you experiencing this joy of salvation? And if not, put your faith in the one who saves. If not, look at these three things and make the adjustments, repent, and change the things this week that you need to, to experience the wonderful, magnificent joy of salvation. Father, help us do just that. Help us examine our own lives and bring us the joy that comes from your grace, from your hope. Help us see the joy that comes in not boasting in this flesh, but only in you, serving you every day of our lives. Help us be your people, redeemed by your grace and your blood. We love you and we thank you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.